Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang on the Holy Land, a Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Back after a one-week hiatus, the, the start of baseball has really put a, put a crimp in my schedule, but in a good way. But nonetheless, we are back now to discuss all of the craziness that is the NCAA tournament. Before we get into that, uh, that conversation, Josh, how are you doing on this fine Sunday evening? I'm doing good, man. Uh, happy to be back on the pod with you. And I am fully, I'm lost in the sauce. I'm caught up in the madness. It's been a great weekend. Tons to talk about. So ready to roll. Yeah, I, I have personally watched more college basketball than any sane human being should. Um, obviously, we're recording this on, on Sunday afternoon. So this is right after Ohio State's game against Villanova. And we're going to talk about that a bunch. But I did want to start out our tourney talk today with Ohio State's first game in their win over Loyola Chicago. And Josh, I know that you... You are a bit more positive than I was. I did not pick Ohio State to win their first round game. I know you did in your bracket. Um, I, I know a lot of the big media pundits were picking Loyola. I know the Vegas line was pretty much even. I think Ohio State was the only seven seed to not be favored in their 7-10 matchup in the first round. And, you know, obviously a lot of that's based on how Ohio State ended the season. They didn't look great coming out of the regular season. They, they lost their first game in the, in the Big Ten tournament to Penn State. And then they come in, they kind of limp their way into the Big Ten tournament. But obviously they did have two of their guys back in Zed Key and Kyle Young for that game. And uh, it wasn't the prettiest game in the world, but Ohio State did manage to defeat Loyola 54-41. to uh, Sister Jean has been kicked out of the tournament. Uh, we all know the the runs that Loyola Chicago has had in the past, so I think some of that played into it as well. But, you know, at the end of the day, Ohio State was able to make it out of the first round, and they did enough in that game to defeat Loyola. They did just enough, right? I mean, they put up 54 points. So to your point, it was not an offensive clinic. But I did think coming into the game, I thought pride would kick in. I mean, you and I and, uh, you know, a lot of our land grant brethren and, and sisters have kind of had our frustrations with this team throughout the season, right? Especially their closing stretch or lack thereof. They were really limping into the postseason. But uh, a number of these guys were on the team last year when they lost to Oral Roberts. And, you know, with that close to the season that they did have, I thought that those guys would just be really amped up for this game and getting Kyle Young back and Zed Key back playing against a team like Loyola Chicago, who is not a, a big team by any means. I just thought that they would have enough and they played some really, really stout defense. Loyola obviously was not on top of their game. I mean, they shot 27 percent from the field, which is almost hard to do. I didn't know if they were going to crack 40 by the end of the game, but a, a good enough all around performance to your point, nothing special, you know, uh, Malachi had 14, EJ had 16, no one else was in double digits, but the defense was probably the, the story of the game. And I thought they really turned it up on that end, obviously giving up 41 points. So it was a good victory to open it up. And I was happy to see them get one after their struggle so late in the season. Yeah, if you had just showed me the Ohio State box score after this game, not knowing the, the final result, I probably would have told you that Ohio State lost this game. Just looking at the numbers, like you said, Liddell and Branham, the only players in double figures. Um, the team, As a team, they shot just under 42%. They were one of 15 from three-point range. They did shoot well from the line, 17 to 21, but not much other positives in the stat line. EJ Liddell did have a double-double with 16 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, Zed 
key in his return, only had two points, but he also brought down seven boards. And obviously Kyle Young, while it doesn't really show up in the stat sheet, he had nine points and seven boards, which is obviously really good. But just the amount of hustle and energy he brings to his team can't be quantified. It just looks like yeah. a different unit out there when he's out there. The amount of hustle he brings to the floor, always diving after it, which, you know, given all of his injury trouble, uh, injury past is, is super impressive for a guy like that, a, a, a senior, a leader on this team to go out there. I think that his play... Even though he didn't, you know, light it up on the scoreboard, I think that his play was a big reason why Ohio State was able to come out victorious in that game, and, and a lot of he, he provided a spark for this team that they had, hadn't had in their previous games without him there on the floor. Yeah, his nine points, it was third highest on the team, and you're right, just the energy and his presence out there, which I know we'll get to, uh, was missed down the stretch against Villanova. I think it really meant a lot to the guys. He played a season high, 35 minutes, most minutes on the team in that game, and they really needed him because Zed, to your point, yeah, he pulled down seven boards in 12 minutes, but still looked a little slow, a little lethargic out there in his return. They didn't play Joey Bronk at all. So up front, they were going to need Kyle Young. And I was really surprised by just how many minutes he played, but a steadying presence, which is another thing they needed with uh, you know a couple of guys Eugene Brown didn't really have any or much tournament experience. Jamari Wheeler did not make it to the tournament during his time with Penn State and so on and so forth. So I thought they needed that out there. And the defense is just that much more impressive when you look at some of the kind of secondary stats. I mean, I think you hit on it one for 15 from beyond the arc. They had 17 turnovers, uh, only 14 for Loyola. So yeah, you're right. You know, you look at that box score and you're like, how the hell did they get it done? But then you look at the other half and the defense was just stifling. You know, they forced 14 turnovers. They won the rebounding edge or they had the rebounding edge. And, um, you know, Loyola could just never really get it going. I can't think of and, you know, tell me if I'm wrong. I can't think of a run where Loyola like really kind of put the Buckeyes in danger. Like I didn't get a sense throughout that game that they were going to lose it at any point after, you know, the first five, 10 minutes, I thought that they could just keep on grinding away at this team. And if the defense stood up like it did, they were going to come away with a victory. And obviously they did in the end. Yeah, I think it's pretty tough to have a, a run of any sort of significance when you only score 41 points in a basketball game. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're right. They never really, you know, it, there were times where it felt like Ohio State was kind of lagging behind, but it never felt like the game was out of reach. And, and Ohio State kind of put the pedal to the metal on the defensive end, especially. Um, but but even, even in a win like this, and even in taking the positives from it, um, you do, there were some kind of uh, signs of things to come in this game. Um, yeah. Ohio State only got seven total points from their bench. Um, I mean, you had guys like Jamari Wheeler played 30 minutes. He only had four points. Eugene Brown, 21 minutes, four points. Justin Orange, 12 minutes, no points. Uh, Cedric Russell had 11 minutes for two points. Michi Johnson, 15 minutes, three points. So a lot of their, especially the guard play, the guard play for Ohio State all season has been lackluster at best. And in this first game of the NCAA tournament, and we'll talk about the second game in a little bit, they they didn't get much of anything from their guards, even even assist wise. I mean, Jamari Wheeler played thirty minutes. He only had one assist, and when you only have four points, you're not doing a whole bunch out there. And I know he's a big, you know, he's a great defensive guy, and that's more of his game. But if you're the starting point guard for Ohio State and you're playing thirty minutes, you probably have to register more than one assist. You know, same with a guy like like Michi Johnson who hasn't been shooting especially well. You know, no assists, just the one turnover, but. 
I mean, they're just they're not getting a ton from their guard play. Cedric Russell has played less and less down the stretch. He didn't really give them much offensively. Uh, we know Justin Arns struggles all season. So while while Liddell and Branham have have been the top two all season, they they've just needed more from other guys. And we keep saying this, but it, it seems like it gets the disparity between what those guys score and the rest of the team scores is seems to be more and more glaring. And since they only got seven points from their bench, not a ton from their guards in general, um, it, it wasn't very you know. Uh, optimistic moving forward for their offense to, to get it going, especially against a team like Villanova. But they did, like you said, they did enough in this game to win. It just wasn't the prettiest effort across the board. Yeah. Are you surprised that we didn't see more of Joey Brunk in that game? You know, I know that for a majority of the season, he wasn't getting big minutes. And then by default, he played a bunch late, played pretty well in a couple of games. And Loyola Chicago is not a big team. You know, they don't have the tank that they had last year. I forget the kid's name where they made sort of a run um, and the wispy mustache kid. Cameron um, kid. Right, right. And uh, he was a, he was a big physical presence for them last year. I remember watching him. They didn't really have they didn't really have that this year. And to see Joey Brunk, I mean, he got in there for a minute. He threw up a shot at the end. But were you surprised that we didn't get more of him? Yeah, I mean, the fact that Kyle Young played 35 minutes coming off injury is, is pretty surprising. But like we said, he was so important to the team. I guess they felt they couldn't really take him off the floor. But I am kind of surprised. You know, they, they do need, you know, Liddell and Young had to play almost the entire game. They weren't getting much from, from guys elsewhere in the front court um, with, you know, obviously Branham in the, in the backcourt. But yeah, I mean, it is kind of surprising with how well Joey Brunk was playing down the stretch. Obviously, he wasn't, you know, I think he was playing probably above his capabilities in those few games that he really shined in. But even still, I mean, it's not like you're getting a ton offensively from from Zed Key. And I mean, Key did have seven rebounds in this game, but he also had four turnovers. Um, he hasn't, you know, he's kind of lost his offensive stroke as the season's gone on. And obviously, the injuries probably play a, a little bit of that. But, you know, Zed Key used to have that nice little hook shot. He was he could hit from either side, either hand. Hasn't really had that down the stretch. I am surprised that Joey Brunk didn't at least play a little bit. But like I said, you know, it really has, you know, Joey, Joey Brunk isn't playing point guard or shooting guard. So I don't think he could really help them in that regard. And I think that what has plagued Ohio State the most this season is just lackluster play from their guards uh, at pretty much, you know, at point guard and shooting guard, especially when, when Branham isn't in the game. Yeah, and it's hard to turn elsewhere, you know? I mean, in March, your roster is your roster. So they didn't have uh, extra bullets to fire beyond maybe Cedric Russell playing a bunch, but you, you mentioned he only played 11 minutes and he didn't attempt a field goal. So I think the, the lack of brunk time is about the only thing that surprised me because their options were so limited, but, you know, in the end, you can't argue with the result. As uh, ugly as it was at times, I think that Chris Holtman needed this. I think the Buckeyes needed this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Obviously, it didn't mean a ton going forward. But if they had exited the tournament again in the first round, I, I know a lot of Buckeye fans would not have been happy. Yeah, and I mean, and rightfully so. And I think at the end of the day, you know, we have to remember that you know a big part of the of the plan going into the season for this team was having Justice Suing on this roster, and obviously he didn't. He played like one and a half games this season, and that was it for him for the rest of the year. But this is a guy who, over, in his career, has averaged over twelve and a half points a game. Obviously, he only had about six points a game for Ohio State last season, but that was a different roster. I think he would have been a really big part of this Ohio State offense. I think he would have been probably the second leading scorer behind EJ Liddell, and having you know a trio of Liddell, Branham, and Suing, especially three guys that have different styles of play I think would have been really good for Ohio State's offense and I think had they had Justice Suing this year I think this would have been a very different looking Ohio State team on top of the fact that he's able to almost 
play as an extension of a guard because he was so good at handling the ball. He would bring the ball up sometimes. He was a pretty solid assist guy. And, you know, it's just, it's tough that they didn't have, um, they didn't have his presence all year. And I think that that would have really changed things. And I think that when you're looking at, like you said, you know, you can only really play the guys you have on the roster. I think they were missing a big piece of who they expect to have in their roster. And that's not even including a guy like Seth Towns who could have provided some points off the bench as well. So I think, you know, you obviously have to factor into this season. uh, But, but at the end of the day, you know, you didn't have these guys all year. And by the time the tournament comes around, you probably should have had other guys step up and they just, they really never did. Yeah, and I, I agree with you a thousand percent. But then I also look at the fact that, you know, they beat Duke without just assuming in Seth Towns. They beat Wisconsin without those guys. So just the disparity from kind of like early midseason to late, I don't really know where it went off the rails for me. I mean, you can point to guard play or lack thereof, but it's not as if those guys were lighting it up early on, you know, especially Michi, especially Justin Arns, who I know, you know, consider him a forward. Jamari Wheeler faded a little bit down the stretch, I think, but he was always sort of a guy that he picked his spots. Like he sort of knew his role and he was never going to look for 15 to 20 points. So just to see the team change throughout the season, and I I know we want to get to the Villanova game, but just the way that they faded down the stretch was really disappointing to me because you had two guys play at a high level all year. Well, and, and really Malachi Branham didn't come on until later, but you had those two guys you could count on. And then no one really stepped up throughout the rest of the season. Like I can't think of the guys that drastically improved outside of Malachi Branham. Can you? I, I would argue the opposite. I would say that guys mm-hmm, regressed mm-hmm. as the season went on. You know, look at a guy like Eugene Brown, who I thought coming into the season was primed for a big year. He was a guy who last season we saw be really good on the defensive end, and he just, you know, he really needed to get a little bit more on the offensive end going, and it looked early in the year like he was going to. And then as the season got on, he, he got worse and worse on the offensive end and on the defensive end, it seemed like. You know, obviously, you know, Justin Orange's struggles have been well documented. That didn't help them. I am surprised we didn't see at least a little bit more from Cedric Russell with how good he was at his at his previous school, but... I guess he just never really fit into the offense. A, a guy like Michi Johnson, I think, really regressed this season. I thought he was going to have a big role this year, and he was not stellar offensively or defensively either. Um, like I said, we didn't get much offensively from Wheeler, but that's kind of what you expected from him. Um, and, and yeah, and at the end of the day, there wasn't, there isn't a player on this team I can honestly say that got better as the season gone on, except for Malachi Branham. Yeah, and you know, like Liddell was Liddell. I mean, he was he was really good coming into the year. Right. He was really good at the end of the year. It's not like he got any worse. If anything, he did get a little better. And I'm sure he'll have you know a really nice NBA career coming up for himself. But yeah, like you like that's a good point. You know, these guys didn't really progress. And I don't know if that's on the players. I don't know if that's on the coaching. But it is you know kind of concerning that you played all these games and you know at the end of the year you know they were, they had a couple games left and there was a chance that this team could have won a share of the Big Ten title at the end of the season. And then you have you know, kind of that crash and burn at the end of the regular season and then an offensive performance like this, although albeit in a win, um, it's just, you know, it's definitely concerning when you have basically two guys out there that could score the rock and, and not a single other player you can rely on for a consistent offense. Yeah, but but let's say this too, you know, the win against Loyola gave them 20 on the season. So yet another 20 win season for Chris Holtman. I know that People and fans and media and everyone's going to point to his lack of postseason success, but I think you still have to give credit where credit is due. You know, he has taken this team to the tournament a number of times. They failed to kind of make it as far as they'd like to, but fluky things happen. You know, last year they were a two seed 
going into the tournament and they got beat by a, a really good 15 seed in Oral Roberts. So things like that happen. You know, I don't think anyone and look, I'm not, I'm not comparing the two, but Coach Cal lost to a 15 seed this year. Things like that just happen. Oddities happen in this tournament. But I, I think you and I can both agree that, well, and let's get into it. We probably both thought that if Ohio State was going to win a game, you know, they could probably eke one out against Loyola. But then did we have hopes going forward? I think the answer is no. And we can get to the Villanova game. Yeah, wasn't exactly uh, super pumped to play Villanova. Obviously, a team with a ton of postseason success. Jay Wright has been there for the last 20 years. He's won a pair of national titles. Villanova has been a, a powerhouse in college basketball for quite some time Real now. Real quick about Jay Wright, though. Like, did he start coaching when he was 20? I mean, the dude looks like he's 40, 45 years old. Like, he's been, he has been there forever, doesn't age. So, he's doing great things. Kudos to him. Yeah, I think uh, I think money helps with that is is the general uh, way that that goes. But but yeah, I actually wrote I wrote a piece as one of my like uh, five things to look at for Villanova heading into the game. Villanova's only had eight total head coaches in their 102 year wow. career. They've had a couple of guys, you know, 20 plus uh, 20 plus years on the resume. That Jay Wright being one of them, and Jay Wright having the most success out of any of them uh, in these last you know 10 or so years, especially. Um, but yeah, you know, Villanova, obviously a really, really good team. We know that they were a number two seed coming into this. I don't think anybody really gave Ohio State a chance in this game. And after the first half, uh, it looked like Ohio State was going to get run out of the gym. Um, they were really struggling on both ends of the floor. Villanova was getting pretty much everything they wanted, especially Gillespie on the offensive end. Uh, they, were, they were struggling shooting the ball as they did against Loyola. Um, and things looked like they were getting out of hand quickly. Uh, but then in the second half, it was a really, really strong effort for Ohio State. At one point, they had cut the game to two points with about five minutes remaining. And then, of course, um, as you probably all know by now, uh, Kyle Young getting injured, picking up what looked like another concussion. Just a really tough break for him, especially, and for Ohio State. You know, Kyle Young, once again, wasn't, you know, lighting it up on the offensive end, but having him out there and his energy and his size against a team like Villanova that didn't have a ton of size on their own end was super important for Ohio State. And had he not gotten hurt, I think that Ohio State would have would have hung in there a little bit longer. I think that they had a lot of momentum at the time that he got injured, and then they kind of just seemed deflated after that, and it fell apart a little bit there. And, you know, while the final score, they did lose 71-61, they, did, they lost by 10, but obviously a lot of that's just kind of fouling and free throws at the end. I think it was closer than that than than the final score indicated, but you know it was a, it was a really solid effort for Ohio State. You're not going to hang your hat on really solid efforts at a loss, but with the way with how bad they looked in the first half, the fact that they came out, competed, didn't give up, they easily could have hung their heads against a much better opponent, but. They didn't, and they they you know had things had things bounce differently in a couple of places. It could have been an Ohio State upset. They fought it just like they did all year, really. Even when they were losing games, they were in a lot of them, and they gave you know 110 percent effort. The thing that really struck me in the first half is just this Ohio State team makes offense look so hard and so difficult. You know, EJ can create for himself up to a certain point. Same thing for Malachi Branham, but that's it. Like there are just, there are no creators. And I was even talking to my wife during the game. Like there's no one else they can go to where, you know, they can look at it in a situation and say, Hey, we need to get a, a close shot, get it down on the block and get one up down low. They can't really do that. Uh, you know, Zed Key's really struggled down the stretch. Kyle Young, he's more of a, a junkyard dog kind of guy. 
So they don't have that post presence. And then without Justin Ahrens being able to hit the broadside of a barn for the majority of the season, they don't have that shooter. You know, let's get it up. Let's push the pace and maybe look for a transition three, something like that. They don't have those options. And that really struck me during the first half because EJ was trying to get his Malachi did most of his, his damage in the second half. And then everyone else was just sort of out there. You know, it's not like they had a big turnover game. They committed 12 for the entire game, but they hit seven threes. Malachi and EJ had five of those. And so the lack of like tertiary options, again, it hurt them all year, but especially in this game, because the defense did get better. Uh, Gillespie was sort of lighting them up early on especially when he had Michi Johnson on him. I think I thought that Jamari Wheeler played much better defense on Gillespie, but Villanova had the options, right? They could go to Dixon. They could go to Samuels. They could go to Daniels, guys like that who were experienced and can find a shot, get a shot. So the lack of options just really hurt them because when Villanova keyed in on EJ or Malachi, like, you know, it was all hands on deck and they didn't have those guys to kick it out to and hit a big shot. And it just, it, it, it caught him in the end, obviously. Yeah. I mean, to Ohio state's credit, Villanova shot 44%, not much better than Ohio state's 42%. Uh, they were eight of 23 from three compared to Ohio state's seven to 22. So the shooting numbers pretty similar. Ohio state's defense, like you said, did play pretty well. I mean, it just came down to the fact that Villanova had more options on the offensive end. They had four different guys score in double fingers led by Gillespie. He had 20, you know, Samuels had 17, Dixon with 13, Daniels with 11. So they had places to go with the ball. And then you look at Ohio State's box score and and Branham and Liddell combined for 40 of Ohio State's 61 and no one else had more than six points. So that's, that's pretty tough. I mean, you know, some guys did, did other stuff. Like we said, you know, Young, while not a big scorer, was doing a lot of other things. Uh, Zed Key had 11 rebounds to lead the team, although he did he really struggled on the offensive end, especially down the stretch there. Um, but the, they just weren't they had no other options to go with, and nobody they could rely on to score. You know, once again, you know, Jamari Wheeler played 32 minutes, he scored three points. That you know, that's that's not what you want. Yeah, Eugene Brown, 25 minutes, five points, and these are guys that played you know the majority of the game, and it's it, that's not really what you could have. The guard play once again not spectacular. Um, I don't know why, you know, Cedric Russell only played four minutes. feel like it couldn't have hurt to get him out there instead of Eugene Brown at times. Maybe he could have added some threes. I think that would have been potentially really big for this team, but I guess he just didn't fit into the game plan. But yeah, I, I just, much like we you talked about even in the win against Loyola, and as we talked about all year, the guard play just wasn't there. And this was really a two-man team with EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham. And those two guys did about as much as they could. Malachi Branham, especially in the second half, almost single-handedly brought this team back into the game. Um, Liddell, you know, Liddell was doing it all on both ends. He had, a, you know, a couple blocks. He had six boards. He had 17 points. And it's just, you know, they, those two guys couldn't, couldn't carry the team when they were on the bench at the same time. It's just like, you're looking at the, the screen and it's like, who, who on the floor right now could score points? And the answer is pretty much nobody. So, you know, it was a good effort. They, they played really well against a team that is, you know, it, it's a better team than they are. They're a two seed. They're a blue blood in the college basketball world. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, the, the, the only having two scores that you could trust. And while they are very good scores, that's just, you can't beat a, a team as solid as Villanova playing basketball that way. Yeah. You mentioned four guys in double figures. It's kind of like, you know, you can play ifs and buts, right? Um, teams are different from year to year, but I think about the team they had last year, Dwayne Washington obviously was a guy who could get his shot, find his shot spot up at any 
given moment. Even a guy like C.J. Walker was not a big offensive point guard, but he he was, you know, offensively maybe 150% of what Jamari Wheeler is or can be on certain nights. So having one or two guys like that even just would have been huge for a team like that this year. And, you know, who knows, maybe that's to the detriment of Malachi Branham's development if they had some other guys like that. But to make a run in March, you have to have additional options. And, you know, it just the last two months of the season, we keep we keep saying it, but it is so true. No one was able to step up. And it was it was oftentimes like they were I mentioned in our slack, it was sort of like a, a shorthanded hockey team. Sometimes it was three on five on the offensive end, it seemed like. So it's something that moving forward They've got to bring in some firepower and they've got a great recruiting class coming in. But from where they were to where they ended up, I would say if I had to quantify this season as a whole, I would say that it was probably a bit of a disappointment. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, I mean, there weren't super high hopes for this team coming in. Uh, I think the play of, of Branham being probably better than we thought it would be, even though we had high expectations for him, uh, aided in Ohio State make it as far as they did. Um, like I said, you know, late in the season, they had a chance to win a share of the Big Ten title. Uh, it, just, it just didn't work out that way. And now, you know, moving forward, it, it's going to be interesting to see what Ohio State does next year because obviously E.J. Liddell is off to the league. Uh, Malachi Branham is going to have a decision to make, especially with how well he played in the last, you know, couple months of the season. I think he could very well be a first round NBA draft pick. We'll have to see what happens with the with the combine and how he. Let's you know, get into it. Let's yeah, get let's, into it. Let's on get into a little bit. He's, he's it's going to be a lot of you know. He's definitely going to take advantage of the the new rule where you could kind of declare for the NBA and, and get the combine stuff and see what people are yeah. are projecting you. I, he'll almost certainly do that. I. I don't think he's going to come back next year. I don't, you know, it, which would be really tough for Ohio State because obviously we'd love to have him back and he would be the the number one far and away scorer on this team next year. And I think he could probably play himself into a lottery pick if he plays as well as he did, if not better, next season. But I don't, I don't know. It's really going to depend on how he grades out. If he's already a first round pick, then I don't know how much more he has to prove. But otherwise, you know, if he does come back, it'd be huge for Ohio State, obviously, to have a guy like that back in the fold, especially with the recruiting class they have in. But, you know, if, if Ohio State does lose both of those guys, then there's, there's going to be some serious soul searching going on next year because I don't know who's going to score the basketball. Yeah, and, and that's why I hope that Malachi comes back. And I think that there's a good chance that he will because I think that there are things about his game that he can work on, similar to EJ last year. Now, I think ceiling-wise, Malachi, at, you know, when they had to make their decision or when they do have to make their decision, I think Malachi's ceiling is higher this year than EJ's was last year, if that makes sense. But I think that what we saw from Malachi, you know, he had four turnovers in this game. And I remember specifically in the first half, uh, he made a couple poor passes and I think he got stripped as part of his four turnovers. And so I think the ball handling is something that he can work on. I think that his defense is probably average to above average, Um, you know, rebounding for his size and the position he plays, I think is more than adequate, but I look at it as, you know, I think that Malachi Branham could potentially slip into the first round. And even if he didn't, you know, we're still talking about a lot of money, but I truly believe that if Malachi Branham were to come back, work on a couple of things, work on his outside shot too, which I think, comes and goes, but, you know, he had three, three threes today, but I don't look at him as a three point shooter. 
but he's got a nice shot. I think he can become a much more dangerous three-point shooter. So I think that there are game, things about his game that he could work on. And if he did come back and he did those things, I think we could be talking about like a top 15 to 20 guy, maybe even late lottery as opposed to late first, early second right now, just in my humble opinion. Yeah. And I mean, you look at a guy in his own conference, like a Jaden Ivey, where he, you know, he probably could have went to the NBA last year. I don't think he would have been as high. You know, he probably wasn't as good of an NBA prospect last year as Branham is this year, to be fair. But, you know, this is a guy who came back for another year, played at Purdue, and now he's almost certainly going to be a lottery pick with how well he played this season. And I, you know, I could see a very similar projection for a guy like Malachi Branham and a guy of his skill set, because like I said, you know, he's probably further along right now than Ivey was when he was, you know, at Purdue last season. And obviously, you know, Ivey was tremendous at Purdue this year and he still is. I don't, you know, they haven't been upset yet to this point. Uh, this they could have by the time this comes out, but he's been tremendous for Purdue all season. He's almost certainly going to be a lottery pick. So if, if, you know, if uh, Branham decides to come back for another year, there could be something like that in store for him. You know, a guy like even EJ Liddell on his own team, you know, Liddell could have went to the NBA last season. He probably would have been, uh, you know, a, a, a second round pick, if not late first. Now he'll almost certainly be a first round pick uh, because of how well he played. So, you know, obviously the, the game plan is there. The, the, there has been others in his position that have made the choice to come back, and it's worked out well for them. You know, there's always the chance that you know you don't want to, you don't want to put it into the air, but you know, obviously injuries and stuff play a factor. And I wouldn't well wouldn't fault the guy in any way for going and getting that money now. So whatever decision he does wind up making is is going to be the best one for him. But yeah, like like Josh said, there's definitely a lot that he could still work on, even though he is a very good player. And if he does come back and gets even better, then he's you know he is a potential lottery pick. He's that good. I think that a lot of it will come down to. And maybe not his decision, but just, you know, kind of their general success moving forward. I think it's going to come down to Bruce Thornton, uh, the point guard out of Georgia, and potentially looking at the transfer portal to get another experienced guard. Because, you know, Jamari Wheeler is gone. Um, So there's no proven point guard on this roster right now. Michi Johnson is not a proven point guard. You know, he struggled throughout the year. His decision-making is, you know, less than perfect. So I think they have to find a guy like that. But the the upside on Thornton could be really, really high. You know, I've seen some of his stuff. He's an athletic kind of like bulldog point guard, but he's got some good athletic, you know, like I said, athleticism. He can score the ball. If he could come in and be a distributor, just as well, if not more so than Jamari Wheeler. I think a lot of it starts there because even Jamari, he was more of a, uh, you know, sort of like a a ball protector. He wasn't a big drive and dish kind of guy. He didn't look for his own offense a ton. So I think it's good to have a threat at point guard, even if he's not looking for his own shot very often. So again, I go back to a guy like CJ Walker, not a big scorer, but he was not afraid to, take a big shot, uh, drive to the bucket. He was actually, you know, very good. I think getting to the hoop for his size. So I think they need a guy like that because they're going to have, especially if Malachi Brandon comes back, they're going to have other athletes. You know, they're going to have Bryce Bryce Sensiball, Roddy Gale Jr. They're going to have some really good wings. I think that their wings will be much better than they were this year. So Malachi may not be on an island uh, in that kind of like two through four situation with um, EJ going to the league, but it, it'll definitely be interesting because what we do know or who we you know believe is coming back, Zed Key is still going to be a, a down low presence, 
But beyond him, you know, who do they have? They have Felix Okpara coming in. He's 6'11", but he's 210 pounds. He's an athletic guy, but he probably needs to add some weight. So I think a lot's going to be expected of Zed Key as a veteran coming back. But a ton of unknown, maybe even more so than this year. And to your point, if Malachi Branham does to shoot, does decide to leave, then, man, like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. If both of those guys do leave, what do you what do you think is their kind of ceiling next year? I mean, I think, you know, I think if Malachi Branham does leave, the transfer portal is going to become a, a very big priority for Ohio State and Chris Holman. I agree. But but like you said, you know, we have we've talked so much about the guards and how much they didn't get from them this year. But like you brought up, you know, two of the guys they have coming in next season are very highly touted guards. Roddy Gale Jr. is a top 60 player in the country, shooting guard. Bruce Thornton, the point guard, is a top 42 player. Um, you know, you talked about Felix Opara. He's a top 50 national player. Bryce Sensball is the number 61 player in the country. So they have a lot of good guys coming in. Obviously, Alpara center and sensible forward, but in Gale and Thornton, those are two really good guards they have coming in, both guys that can score the basketball. Uh, Thornton's a really good uh, distributor as well, so that'll hopefully alleviate some of the problems at guard, and you don't want to rely too much on on freshmen to to be the sole like leaders of your team, but... As we saw with with Branham, if they're ready to go, then then throw them out there and, and let them lead. You know, there's they don't have a ton of returning guard production to to be had. So I imagine those guys will play big roles in their first year, and it could be a little bit of a of a bridge year for Ohio State, where you know they're kind of just getting these young guys their reps. If, if Branham is not there, I'm saying if Branham's there, you could have a really good uh, backcourt with all these guys out there, and then you know whatever you have shake out it forward. I imagine there'll be some transfer portal stuff there, but. At the end of the day, it could be with if Branham does decide to leave, it could be a, a tough year for Ohio State and maybe just a, a youth year, getting these guys some reps and building for what could happen in, in you know the year to follow. So it's gonna be interesting to watch. I, I want to ask that, you about that, yeah. Gene, real quick. Um, you know, if that were to come to fruition and they lose their top two scores and you know pretty much all of their offense, gosh, you know, I don't even like asking this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Can Chris Holtman afford a bridge year? or a learning year. You know, the way that this season ended, he's got this great recruiting class coming in, but sometimes it takes freshman time. You know, we saw pick any number of teams, you know, Duke had the one year where they were terrible with the, with all of this talent that came in. Coach Cal has had his ups and downs. He lives in like the one and done world. If Chris Holman were to bring in these stud freshmen, even though they're a great recruiting class, if they underperform at a young age, which, you know, can be expected up to a certain point, you know, kind of what's what's going on with him or, you know, what will be the opinion of him if, if they're a 17 win team next year? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair point. I don't really know if he he could uh, afford a year like that. I think that, you know, I think internally, you know, Gene Smith and the rest of Ohio State's athletic department, I think they are still, they still have their trust in Chris Holtman. So I don't know if in their eyes. He's... And I like Chris Holtman too. I'm asking that as a Chris Holtman fan. Yeah, for sure. And I think that within the Ohio State program, I think that there is still a lot of, a lot of uh, hope and a lot of, of, you know, they, they do still believe in Chris Holman's ability to lead this team. However, I do think that, you know, the external pressure from from fan base and others around the basketball world is is, is starting to mount a little bit. Um, we, we you know the lack of success in, in the postseason, especially, um, although, you know, well, not not entirely Chris Holman's fault, obviously. But I do think there are questions to be had there for his performances in March and, and in late February and stuff like that. Um, he, Chris Holman hasn't won a Big Ten regular season or tournament title. I think those are all, you know, fair criticisms. And I don't know, you know, Ohio State's. Football team and basketball team definitely have uh, differing, you know, 
preseason expectations going into each year, and I think yeah. that that plays a lot into the the fan perspective of this. You know, you you expect Ohio State to make the playoffs every year in football, so I think a lot of people you know overestimate what Ohio State could do in basketball in any given year. But at the end of the day, you know, the results aren't quite there yet, and if it is, you know, a bad season for Ohio State next year, that I think Chris Holman could very well be on the hot seat. And I don't know if it's entirely fair, but I think in the world we live in now, where everyone wants immediate results, I think it is kind of the way it is. And Ohio State's never. You know, Ohio State's had years where they were really good, but they've never been, you know, the Dukes and the Michigan States and the and the Kansases of the of the college basketball world. So, it's a tough spot to be in. You know, you're you're a program that has you know a lot of a lot of national prestige for all of your sports, and you know the top two being obviously football and basketball. But yeah, if it's a if it's a bridge year, if you lose this this talent that you had this year, I don't think he really expected Malachi Branham to be a potential one and done guy. Um, but if you you come into a season kind of unprepared because you've lost all your talent from last year and you haven't either you know found ways to replace it in the portal or otherwise, I think that there's going to be a lot of questions, and I think that the hot seat will definitely be pretty hot at the end of next year if Ohio State does underperform. Yeah, it's all about development for me. Can Chris Holman and his staff develop guys? Because I, I think outside of EJ's continued improvement and EJ's, or uh, I'm sorry, Malachi's development this year, to your point, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of guys either plateaued or maybe even regressed. And so I think that's where a lot of the questions come from. Can Chris Holman and his guys make this team better or help them reach their potential? And I hope the answer is yes. I hope that the the answer will be yes in the future. But there are definitely some questions after this season for a team that at one point had beaten Duke and Wisconsin and was ranked as high as 13th. I think that's kind of how you have to look at it in totality. Throw throw the expectations coming into the season out. Look at where they were and where they ended. And I think some of the questions are fair. Yeah. And I think also, you know, when you know, it, you know, you have a guy like EJ Liddell who's going to be off the NBA sooner rather than later, and you know that a lot of these guys are going to be graduating after this year. You look back to Ohio State's 2020 run, 2021 recruiting class, and it was just Malachi Branham and Kalen Etzler. And like, you know, Etzler's a three star guy, and obviously Branham is what he is, but that class for Ohio State ranked number 49 in the country and number 10 in the Big Ten. And so if you get to 2023 and you're, you're missing a lot of talent on your roster, I think you kind of look to your own recruiting at that point and be like, you know, they just, they didn't really plan for the future well enough. And, you know, obviously Ohio State's had a lot of problems with transfers as, as many programs around the country has, you know, losing a guy, you know, you, they lost a bunch of talent from the 2020 class and, and all the classes before that. But at the end of the day, I think that, you know, if you only have a, a two man class and then you're missing a bunch of guys two years later, I think that that's, you know, somewhat on your shoulders as the head coach to kind of prepare better for the future. Yeah, and it's not just freshmen, right? You can you can count Cedric Russell and Joey Brunk and Jamari Wheeler as part of that recruiting, you know, class. And for most of the part, most of the season, Joey Brunk and Cedric Russell gave you very little. Jamari Wheeler was a steadying presence, but if you extrapolate it out beyond Malachi and Etzler, it's kind of a five five guy class, and you got contributions from one and a half or, you know, two, I think Jamari Wheeler performed up to expectations, but you kind of hit on 40% of that. So I think you've got to, you've got to be better moving forward and have a higher, higher hit rate, higher success rate. 
Yeah, and I think we're also kind of forgetting, you know, the the injury guys that should be back next year. You know, obviously Justice Suing. Yeah, hopefully if Justice Suing could get back to form next season and play, I think that's big for Ohio State. There's a chance that Seth Towns returns after all of his injuries, so that's kind of up in the air still. But there is scoring to be brought back on this team that's already there. So it's not like they're relying entirely on the freshmen, but they will probably play a big part next year, especially if Branham does leave. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Josh, I did want to get into the rest of the NCAA tournament because overall it's been a lot of fun. But before we get to that, I did want to say as it's you know as it's happening on the air, um, the Ohio State women's ice hockey team did just win the national title three to two over Minnesota Duluth. So shout out to there the ladies go. on the ice. Ohio State wins its first ever national championship, uh, uh, the women's hockey team that is. Um, and so you know it's not not all bad in Ohio State sports on Sunday afternoon. They did pick up the Buckeyes did pick up a big win. It was just on the ice instead of on the hardwood. Well, on the hardwood, the women's basketball team opened their tournament with with a 63-56 to victory over Missouri State. Uh, that was a 6-11 matchup. And, Gene, I, I didn't watch much of this game. And it was probably even worse because the, the part that I did catch was early on when Ohio State couldn't find sand in the desert. I think they hit one of, like, their first 15 shots, scored five points in the first quarter, but turned around in the second. I think they doubled up Missouri State. It was, like, 25-12. So kudos to them, too. I know we talked about them on one of our last pods. Uh, J.C. Sheldon had 25 points. She's been a baller all year. They really needed her scoring, and now they're moving on. I don't have their next LSU. They play LSU next. So it's definitely a mixed bag. The women are definitely performing strong in, you know, both of these postseason tournaments. So we got to give them a shout out for sure. Yeah, the Ohio State ladies across the board have been having a quite a successful weekend. Like you said, the the uh, Ohio State women's basketball team did win their first round matchup against Missouri State in a 63-56 affair. Uh, yeah, the part if you only watched the first quarter, you would have thought Ohio State lost this game by 100 because they were outscored 14 to 5 in that first quarter, but then they responded with a 26 to 12 second quarter to get things back in order. It was a pretty pretty solid back and forth affair even at the end, but like you said, JC Sheldon absolutely balled out, played 40 minutes, scored 25 points. Uh, right behind her was Taylor Mike Sell with 14 points. Uh, and, you know, a good game, a good win for Ohio State. Obviously, you know, kind of the favorite coming in there is a 6-11 uh, matchup. And now they will face the uh, number two seed LSU on Monday night. I believe that game is on ESPN2. Uh, yes, they're number three LSU. They'll play at 8 p.m. on ESPN2. I'm not entirely sure when this podcast will come out, if it will be before and afterwards, but hopefully the, the Lady Bucks can continue their, their stretch in their tournament. But yeah, a successful weekend for the for the women's teams of Ohio State. If not, uh, you know, if the men's teams couldn't get it done, uh, at least we still have that going for us. And as I've always said, you know, Ohio State is just a, a women's ice hockey school. That's just how it is. It's what everyone knows the Buckeyes for, and that's just the reality. Yeah, and uh, I think they, what else do they have, like, uh, men's gymnastics i think has been on a roll lately the ohio state men's gymnastics team so some of the lesser known sports and the uh wrestling guys competed this weekend as well i'll be writing about that this week it, it is not all doom and gloom for ohio state athletics 
So we, we definitely need to recognize and give credit to those other teams that are performing really well. Yeah, and I think the women's softball team had a uh, threw a no hitter last weekend, so it's 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 not all bad for Ohio State. It's it's decent across the board. But I did want to get to before we wrap up here. I did want to get to the the rest of the NCAA tournament because it has been a lot of fun. There's been a ton of upsets. There's been a ton of great basketball. I, I'm not even going to say great basketball because not all of the close games are great basketball games. But there's been a lot of fun games to watch and a lot of kind of surprising results. A lot of of you know crazy stuff going on across the board as as usually happens in March. But obviously, you know, the biggest game of the tournament, I think, so far, and some of the biggest storyline, I think, is the St. Peter's, uh, St. Peter's, uh, what, what are their name again? Uh, the Peacocks. Peacocks. The St. Peter's Peacocks, which I'm pretty sure is in New Jersey, where I currently live, um, took down number two, Kentucky, and then followed it up by defeating number seven, Murray State, to advance to the Sweet 16. Just a really fun story. Um, definitely the only 15 seed to beat a two seed and then continue winning games in the last couple of years. It certainly hasn't happened to <laughs> or against anyone else in recent memory. Uh, but the St. Peter's Peacocks are a ton of fun to watch, and I, I love that storyline. It's always fun to see a double-digit seed advance this far, and I think that you know all of America is generally rooting for the Peacocks right now. Yeah, they're a really fun team to watch and to take down a school like Kentucky, which, you know, I am not a Kentucky fan. I'll just say that right now, but uh, I'm going to write about that for your nuts column. That was a really good, exciting game. That team is known, St. Peter's is known for their defense. They're a top 20 defensive team in the country and they gave up 79 points, but uh, you know, nearly 40% of those or something were to Oscar Shibwe. They knew they weren't going to have the size and strength to, to shut him down. He put up like 30 and 15, but they clamped down on everyone else. Ty Ty Washington was pretty much a non-factor. They've got the, uh, the transfer Grady, who's a great shooter, couldn't hit anything the other night. So I think that's probably been my favorite game so far. But what are some of the other like upsets or just some of the other games that you liked in this opening kind of weekend we've had? Yeah, you know, there's been a couple of really, really solid upsets. Notre Dame took down uh, Alabama in 11-6. Yesterday, we saw North Carolina knock off Baylor in a real thrilling overtime game. Uh, that one was kind of nuts. Obviously, the, the call on Brady Manick to knock him out of that game was was quite soft. And, and it kind of it led to the the. So the regular the regulation demise of North Carolina blew a 25 point lead. Um, Baylor took it to overtime, and then North Carolina wound up coming out on top in OT. The really fun game, the first uh, first one seed to be knocked out of the tournament this year, um, and that was you know that was another really fun game to watch. Even though it was you know the officiating was was questionable at times, but that the back and forth in that game was kind of nuts. It was a high scoring game. It finished 93 uh, 86. That was probably you know other than the St. Peter's upset, that was one of my favorite games to watch in this tournament. Um, and then, yeah, elsewhere, you know, today uh, we saw Illinois get knocked off by Houston. And they only beat Chattanooga by one in their opening game, so Illinois did not have a good tournament. Yeah, and Illinois probably should have lost that game to Chattanooga. Chattanooga really threw it away at the end. I think they, they you know, a couple couple bounces here and there. Chattanooga probably wins that game in the first round. I, I know I had seen a couple people going into that game saying that Chattanooga was going to be a bad matchup for Illinois. It turns out that was pretty much the case. Um, nothing else going on in the Big Ten. There are no other teams that are advancing. Um, definitely not the 11 seed that will play Villanova. I don't know anything that you're talking about, and I refuse to acknowledge it. Yeah, it's been a mixed bag. Uh, we don't have to hit on that school that you're referring to, but you know, I the Big Ten had, what, 10 teams, I think, that were selected for the tournament. Rutgers lost early. Iowa was upset. Illinois out after squeaking out a one-point victory over Chattanooga. Um, you know, I'm trying to look for some of these other ones. Wisconsin 
didn't really put away Colgate too easily. I think they won by seven or eight points. So I am a bit surprised by, I guess, the overall lack of success by the Big Ten. Oh, but we did I forget. Do... We forgot another big upset involving the Big Ten, and that was Richmond defeating Iowa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, brought, I started to bring that one up. Um, Iowa didn't look good at all during that game, really. I thought Keegan Murray was very tentative early in the game. And then, you know, they just, they could never really put them away. And then as the game got late, you know, they found themselves behind and they couldn't find their offense. They were looking for it, looking for it. Keegan Murray played better in the second half, but that was kind of a Richmond game from beginning to end. And that was probably not my biggest surprise, but it was definitely up there with Illinois, two schools that, you know, I I thought would maybe run, make sweet 16 runs and especially Iowa. Uh, I had them in my sweet 16. I think maybe even my elite eight due to the way that they closed the season and they really went out with a whimper. Yeah. The tough, the tough thing about a team like Iowa is that when you predicate your entire game plan around being a high scoring team that doesn't defend very well, when you're not hitting shots, it, it falls apart pretty quickly. And that's kind of what happened to them against Richmond. They, they weren't you know very good defensively all year, but their offense was just so good that they were able to overcome that. And that just wasn't the case against Richmond. You know, the Big Ten in these last couple of years has had a rough go of it in the, in, in the NCAA tournament. I think that, you know, this wasn't a particularly strong year for the Big Ten. I think each team had, you know, one or two really strong players, as we've discussed, but no team is really at that elite level. I think Purdue has the best chance of all of them to, uh, you know, make it to a, perhaps a Final Four or a national title game. Of course, they'd have to get through Gonzaga to do that, and I don't have a ton of faith in that, but I could see Purdue still making the Final Four. Um, as for the rest of the Big Ten, not super convincing. Wisconsin is currently playing Iowa State. As we're recording this, they're up by seven at this time. MSU is currently playing Duke. They're down by seven. So, like you said, a mixed bag a bit for the Big Ten. But another, you know, some of the top teams that are coming out in, in Iowa and Illinois have already been eliminated. So I don't know what it is about the Big Ten, but their postseason success hasn't exactly been there in these last couple of years. And I don't want to sound like an apologist, but they beat the hell out of each other all regular season and all throughout the Big Ten tournament, you know. So you can look at the teams that have already been taken down and and say maybe the Big Ten was overrated, but I I truly do believe that it is one of, if not the second best conference in college basketball right now. So I do think there's something to that, that, you know, they just, they beat up on each other all regular season. And when they get to March, I I don't want to say tired, but they have fought through quite a, uh, a tenuous regular season. And so, again, this is March. Anything can happen, and it has happened. The Big Ten's been on the, the wrong end of some of those occurrences. Yeah, for sure. And I think that while, you know, obviously officiating hasn't played a huge part in, in many of these games, especially in the Big Ten's case, but I do think that when you're playing in the Big Ten, I think they let a lot more go in conference play because it is so physical, and then there are a bit more touch fouls in, in the NCAA tournament when these these teams are playing against each other. So I think that there is a chance that some of these Big Ten teams have to alter their game plan a little bit, especially on the defensive end because of how much, you know, it, it's a lot, you know, there's there's more physicality in the Big Ten regular season, and so the officials kind of let it mo- go a bit. But when you're playing a team that's a much different style outside of the conference, I think that, you know, the games are officiated a little differently. So I don't want to, I'm not going to blame the officials on any of these losses, but 
I do think that there's a chance that does play a little bit against the Big Ten in that regard. But overall, it's been a really fun tournament. I, I've really enjoyed watching the games. I've watched pretty much at least a little bit of all of them. I've had them on the background while doing other things. Um, Josh, do you have a lean, uh, you know, based on who you thought would win going into the tournament or now after you've seen some of these teams play? Who do you, who are you liking right now? Who do you think could, could make a strong run here? Who did you have, you know, preseason? Are you still pretty confident in those picks? What do you got for me? Yeah, so my final four is still alive. I had Gonzaga, Arizona, Purdue, and gosh, it was my other team, Kansas, which I know you like Kansas. We talked about it a little bit before the pod. I think all four of those teams are still strong contenders, although it, it took Gonzaga a while to get going in their second round matchup. So TBD there, but I, I still like all of those final four teams. If we're going to keep it Big Ten centric or at least related to the Buckeyes, I do really like Purdue, but they've got a tough matchup. You know, they're going up against Texas and, um, then I think they would face UCLA, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, I really like Purdue. I think Jaden Ivey is one of the most talented players in the game right now. I think they've got Travion Williams, Zach Eady, some some big size down low. So if I'm going to keep it like in the Big Ten family, I think Purdue is probably my favorite to make a run from them. But I also really like Arizona. Um, they got rid of the Sean Miller stench that was over their program for the last couple of years. Who He's now going to Xavier. He'll be here in Ohio. But yeah, give me Arizona and Purdue in the final and then Arizona to win it. How does that sound, Gene? Yeah, I mean, the biggest issue facing Purdue right now is that if they beat Texas, they'll have to play against St. Peter's next game, and so anything could happen in that one. Oh, is that the matchup? Yeah, they'd play, they'd play St. Peter's, then they'd play the winner You're of right. North, North Carolina UCLA, and then they'd You're have right. to probably play Gonzaga. So a, a pretty tough I'm going to be so torn. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be tough. Because I'll tell you there. what, uh, Doug Eddert, and I wish his last name was pronounced Edert, because then he could be Dougie Dirt, but... I love that dude and his wispy mustache for St. Peter's. I think Shaheen Holloway is probably going to get a bigger, better job after this performance. But yeah, now I don't know what to do. I, I think Purdue can go far, but if they're going up against the big, bad Peacocks, who knows? Yeah, it should be a fun matchup if Purdue advances past Texas, which I assume they will, but who knows? It's March Madness. Anything could happen. But yeah, going into this this tournament, I had Gonzaga playing Kansas in the national title. Not a lot of fun with two one seeds, but I do think they're two of the most talented teams in the country. I really, really like Kansas this year between Ochai Agbaji and, and Dave McCormick, some of the other guys in that team, Remy Martin, the transfer from Arizona State. I think they're a really solid group. I had picked them to win the Big 12 tournament. They did. Um and I know generally success in the, the conference tournaments does not carry on to the NCAA tournament, but I just really like what Kansas has done all year. I have them as my national champion, although I do really like uh, both Gonzaga and Arizona. I think they're both really strong one seeds, obviously, since they're, they are one seeds. But, you know, Gonzaga has been been that team for a while that, that can't sort of get over the hump. But I think that the team they have this year is really, really talented, and the same goes for Arizona. So I think that they, they did a pretty good job of the one seeds other than Baylor. I think Baylor was the most susceptible one seed to being upset, and that did wind up happening surprisingly against UNC. I didn't think UNC was any good going into this tournament, but they've shot the lights out in, in their first two games, so credit to them. But yeah, it's been a really fun tournament. I think, you know, what's fun about this year is that there isn't one 
dominant team that's ahead of everybody. It probably that team probably would be Gonzaga, but I think you know we saw Gonzaga struggle with Memphis in their last time out. So I do think they are beatable. I think every team in this tournament is beatable. So it, it should be a lot of fun down the stretch. It's been really fun these first couple days. Uh, it's going to be tough to you know wake up on Monday and not have college basketball to look forward to for that day. But you know it'll be back soon enough. And I think that you know this tournament, even though Ohio State's now been eliminated, I think there's a lot of fun teams to still watch out there. There's a lot of good you know underdogs to root for still. And I think that even if you're an Ohio State fan, you can still have a lot of fun watching the rest of this tournament as long as Michigan loses. <laughs> I, I agree with you there. And this tournament is probably my favorite, like, I don't know, kind of like long-term yet condensed sporting event. You know, I think that your football playoffs are great. I think that the NBA playoffs are a little too long, but I think, I think March Madness just gets it right. I think that the stakes are obviously very high, one and done, um, or, you know, loser goes home mentality. You have to have that. And it's just, it's action. It's the opening Thursday and Friday, which should be a national holiday. So regardless of whether Ohio State's in this or not, I always have fun watching this tournament. I'm definitely going to see it through to the end. Yeah, for sure. And I think what's the most fun about about March Madness is that, you know, pretty much everyone gets involved. You know, people that haven't watched college basketball all year will tune in for these games. People that don't watch it all will, will still make a bracket. And when their picks, you know, do well, they'll, they'll tune in for that stuff. So I think they do, like you said, they do a good job with everything that goes into it. The stakes are high. The games are usually a lot of fun. Pretty much, you know, there hasn't been a ton of blowouts in this tournament, which is always good. It's It sucks when you get, you know, a higher seed that wins by like 40. But Hasn't been a ton of that in this tournament. Every game has been super competitive, even if the basketball isn't the best you've ever seen. It still ends up being close at the end. But yeah, it's been a ton of fun. Mark Madness is great. I also love it. Uh, we got baseball start up here soon, which I was going to talk about a little bit with Josh, but we're already almost near an hour. And I don't think you guys really want to talk about oh, us. Oh, man. You know, Gee, we could, we could deeply dive into the Reds and Mets and, and the intricacies of both teams going into the season. But Oh, shoot. I was a, looking forward really, to the yeah, Reds. Yeah, Josh's Reds are, are really looking good this year. I'm sure he's very excited to talk about them. But that would be a very niche audience we'd be reaching there. So I think we could we could pass on that for now. You know, there There might be some weeks where we're getting light on content, and it will come up. But until then... I think we're good for the day, Josh, unless there's anything else that you wanted to touch on, whether it be Ohio State related or just NCAA tournament related. No, I got nothing for you, man. I, I think that this basketball tournament will give us uh, plenty to talk about and plenty to watch for the next uh, you know, week to two weeks. And then we're going to have more spring practice. So a bunch of cool stuff going on. I know we'll talk about baseball against my uh, hopes and desires and wishes. We'll get into my Cincinnati Reds on here at some point. But for, for today, let's just close it out and watch. I think we got, what, five more games? So I've been really of little use to society all weekend. I, I don't want to stray from that too much now. Yeah, I'm certainly not looking to be productive on a Sunday when there's basketball on from, from wall to wall. So I'll agree with you on that one. sure to check out the the buckethead guys i'm sure they'll they'll hop on a podcast or two here this week to talk about a lot of basketball content they've been more in tune than josh and i even though we've been watching a, a ton of the march madness and the, the you know all of ohio state's games of course but they're much more in tune with the college basketball world at large so be sure to give them a listen and follow their content over at land grand Land. be sure to like rate review subscribe and all that good stuff you do with all, all your other podcasts and for josh julie i am gene ross and as always go bucks